0: Good morning and uh, welcome to Christchurch. It's great to physically be here with you in person this morning again. And we know that God is here with us too. And my prayer is that as we meet together, we might get a real sense of his presence and his pleasure. And know in our hearts that we've met with him. Can I encourage you to take this time to be with your Heavenly Father and just to enjoy his presence I pray that you too will meet with him as we meet with him this morning. And I pray that you might know the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in spirit. Father, we do uh, pray for our time together here. We pray for any who are uh, watching later. And we pray for our children. And we ask most of all that we would know your presence with us. That we would know your love for us and that you would speak to us and help us to know you and love you better. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Welcome in the name of Christ. God's grace, mercy, and peace be with you. And also you. Loving God, we have come to worship you. Help us to pray to you in faith, to sing your praise with gratitude and to listen to your word with eagerness. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen. God of our days and years, we set this time apart for you. Form us in the likeness of Christ, so that our lives may glorify you. Amen. In case you don't know me, I'm Bobby, and I'm a reader at Christ Church. I'm also in a reading group, and those two things are not linked in some churches, we're called licensed lay ministers, which might help to explain the role a little bit. And I expect most of you know that, that John Lansbury, who's speaking to us this morning, is doing reader training at the moment. So, John, how's it going?
1: Well, um, you should really ask my tutor that. But I, <laughs> I, I think it's going well. I'm enjoying it. Let's put it like that. I'm enjoying it. We've, we started meeting in September. September, was it? I lose track of the year. January. It was January. My PA <laughs> over there. And we have started meeting face-to-face as well, and I'm really enjoying it.
0: What are you learning?
1: I'm learning some interesting things about the Anglican Church that I, I didn't know, perhaps some that I didn't want to know, um, but mostly uh, being encouraged by the breadth of Christianity that there is in in the Anglican Church, but the there are seven of us trainees, and um, we come from different sorts of churches, some like ours that are serious but perhaps more informal, and some who are equally serious, but perhaps more formal robed and uh, lots of liturgy and I appreciate that as well that 's good different flavors in the ice cream parlor, as you might say, if I can put it like that and uh, some might go for one, some might go for another. And, uh, yeah, I'm a I mean, Roman
0: raisin person myself. You're a Roman raisin. That doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Any highlights to share?
1: We had a minister from uh, Red Church, St. Stephen's, a Nigerian pastor, talking about African theology. And when you look at a different country or how they view their own theology, how they view God, and how the culture has impacted on that, it makes us, it makes me, look at me and think, well, how does my British, very British culture, affect what I am or how I am as a Christian? And how much of it is British culture, and how much of it is what what Jesus would have us do. Okay, we adapt to the culture, and that's right, that's good, but let's not get too mixed up or too hung up on we've got to do it this way. When do we really have to do it this way? And uh, all that sort of stuff. So right. that was one highlight.
0: more one.
1: Yeah. I think meeting the other trainees from other churches has been good. And, uh, yeah, I will be on placement in September in a church where they are quite formal, so I have to. You be will
0: like, send photos in his robes, won't you? Put it on, I, I your, can put it on out, the Christchurch WhatsApp. Soon. I can.
1: I can give you my promise now that I won't. Um, <laughs> I wasn't uh,
0: asking you. I was asking you why. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: Oh, you don't. Know, they don't wear ties. No, not at all. <laughs>
0: Let me pray for you. Thank you, Father. We do uh, thank you that you have called John to train as a, a reader, as a lay minister, and. Father, we thank you for all that he's learning and um, the ways that he's growing in doing that course. And we thank you too for the ways that you are using him and will continue to use him. Father, we pray that uh, he would continue to enjoy the course, it would continue to go well. Pray for him as he he goes on this placement in a a place that's not within his comfort zone. And pray that he might get a, a fresh experience of you in a a different and uh, unusual place. So we just uh, commit him to you, pray particularly for him as he speaks to us this morning we want to hear your voice through him and we thank you for all that you have given him to say in his preparation we commit him to you in Jesus name, Amen So as we consider being faithful to the end and, and the cost of discipleship We're reminded that Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sin we might live for righteousness. For it's by his wounds that we have been healed. So let's just take a minute in silence to acknowledge before God those ways in which we have fallen short of God's purposes for our lives. A moment of silence. God of mercy, we acknowledge that we are all sinners. We turn from the wrong that we have thought and said and done and are mindful of all that we have failed to do. For the sake of Jesus, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and help us to live each day in the light of Christ our Lord. Amen. And so may God, who loved the world so much that he sent his Son to be our Saviour, forgive us our sins and make us holy to serve him in the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
2: The reading today is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, and we're reading from verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, He's Elijah. And still others claimed, He's a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he'd married. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she wasn't able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee, When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother,
1: what shall I ask for?
2: The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried in to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he didn't want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so, picture the scene. In the murky interior of the palace, very sumptuous food. The wine is flowing freely and the so-called King Herod is becoming expansive in his rhetoric. You see, it's his birthday and he wants to impress his guests with a show of power and luxury and he is no doubt basking in their adulation and their praise. The event is progressing well with Herod showing himself off in just the way he wants to. And then, Partway through the proceedings, from the corner of the room, a beautiful girl partway through the proceedings begins to weave her way among the guests in a dance that turns the heads of all those present. She's also watched from the shadows by her mother Herodias, a woman with a smoldering desire to settle the score against the prophet in the dungeons below. This troublesome prophet who had spoken out against her illegal marriage to Herod. Well, the erotic gyrations grow ever more alluring, and as the dance comes to an end, the king is overcome, both with the dance and no doubt with the excess of alcohol. Wonderful what just reward can be given to such a delightful creature! Ask and it shall be yours. The girl is at a loss to know what to ask for and so retreats to find her mother, the head of that rabble rouser, John the Baptist. The girl demands this from the king and suddenly Herod realises the trap that he is caught in. You see, although Herod was greatly displeased with John in terms of him having denounced his marriage to Herodias, Herod had a liking or at least a fascination with John the Baptist. He realised he was a, a righteous and a holy man and in no way did he want to have him put to death. And yet, to back down now, in front of all these noble guests, having vowed that he would give up to half his kingdom to this girl, how could he get away with it? He was so cowardly that he felt he had no alternative but to go ahead with the brutal and bloody execution. He gave the order, and the righteous John the Baptist was beheaded in the stinking dungeon a few minutes later with the trophy held up for all to gawp at. And so ended the life of one of the greatest men in the Bible, I don't know about you, but such stories make me feel angry. You see, on the whim of a cowardly ruler, stupidly lured by an erotic dancer, fed with the bitter grudge of a calculating wife, this great man, John the Baptist, was brought to an end. Why are people allowed to get away with this sort of thing? These wicked deeds, it all seems so unfair. And yet, you know, down through the centuries, this has been part of the story of the people of God, our brothers and sisters down the ages. We look at the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, and in chapter 11, it describes how some people have been imprisoned, tortured, put to death. And it says, the world wasn't even worthy of them. (laughs) The people were so wonderful, so great, the world wasn't even worthy of them, but This was the way they'd been treated. Church history down the centuries is lined with people who have been willing to give their lives in the service of Jesus Christ and not just in speaking, although they were willing to speak out, speak truth to power, but they did it whatever the cost, even their lives. If you want some heroes, just look at the pages of church history where brothers and sisters of yours and mine have lived lives for Jesus Christ, have given their lives for Jesus Christ, and now have passed the baton on to you and me to take it up and to run with it. When Mark wrote his gospel, it's very probable that persecution against the Christians was hotting up. If the Christians living in Rome hadn't already felt this, then they soon would. And so Mark includes this story of the killing of John the Baptist, perhaps as a a reminder, if they needed it, that persecution, a warning that persecution was something that they could expect in their lives. The story has echoes of another righteous man, doesn't it, before another cowardly person. Jesus Christ himself, before the cowardly Pontius Pilate another righteous man before another cowardly ruler. Mark wants his readers to know that suffering is a path that Christians are called to. In John's gospel, we read Jesus saying, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Looking to... More recent history, in the Second World War, a a Christian called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm sure many of us have heard of him, he could hear, he could see what was happening with the government of his country, and he, with some others, decided to stand up against Hitler. He paid for this with his life, being imprisoned and eventually, just before the end of the war, executed. One of his books is aptly named The Cost of Discipleship. Because there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we need to take this cost of discipleship seriously. In this book, Bonhoeffer writes, the cross is laid on every Christian. When Christ calls a man, he he bids him come and die. Come and die? What's this about Jesus giving us life, life more abundant? Didn't he come to bring us abundant life? Well, yes, of course he did. And most of us in this room, I I hope, are living in that abundant life that Jesus gives. We know the joy of walking in his presence day by day. The blessing of knowing his salvation. Knowing that although we don't know what tomorrow holds or the next five minutes, we know the God who holds that future and all our tomorrows. We have that abundant life in Jesus. Flowing in us and out through us. But look in those early days what Jesus told the people. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And that cross was a symbol of death. That cross wasn't just a nice symbol. It was a symbol of death, like putting a hangman's noose there. A symbol of death. Death to sin and death to self-interest. Following Jesus would put his disciples in conflict with a world that would largely ignore Jesus or disown him. And so it is today. And for some, that will cost a lot. And we, am I, ready to face up to that cost? Let's think about what goes on in some parts of the world. Some Christians are blatantly persecuted for their faith in God. It's almost government policy. In fact, it, in some countries, it is government policy. The Herod's of our day still have power and they use it some of us here and some of us watching online will know more about that persecution from a country, from a government than I ever will families can also pressure Christian believers to toe the line and forget all about following Jesus just go to websites such as Open Doors or Barnabas Fund and you'll find out about others who have suffered in the cause of the gospel. Talk to people you know who have been through that sort of treatment. What about most of us here this morning? Well, I thank God that we're here in a comfortable church building with freedom to worship God openly. Let's treasure that. It's precious. Don't ever just take it for granted. Let's treasure it. It's precious. We're not scared that a government official will burst through one of these doors and begin rounding us up and interrogating us, as can and does happen in some countries. I think it's fairly unlikely that many of us here will meet an end like John the Baptist or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but our call to follow Jesus is no less serious, and we shouldn't be taking it half-heartedly. Jesus warned people to count the cost before they became his disciples. So let's beware of treating our faith in God as some kind of pastime. Being a Christian is not a hobby. It's a call by God to give our all for him who gave his all for us. What will the cost of discipleship look like for most of us here in Birmingham? It will be different, of course, for, for all of us. I think of... Christian young people, and the tremendous pressures you are under to conform to peer group norms in our schools, in our universities, in the workplace, it will cost perhaps friendships, perhaps status, to stand out as a follower of Jesus, and at times against systems that are contrary to God's standards. Those of us who are fortunate enough to have a job, perhaps at times you may be under pressure to conform to norms and a culture that is not in line with the norms of the kingdom of God. You may feel pressed to sometimes act in questionable ways. So as to keep on the right side of the boss, knowing that a forthcoming promotion will be less likely if you don't go along with what's expected. Those of us who are in the second half of life, I say that in a generous way, might be the last fifth, for all I know. Those of us who are in the second half of life, we may sometimes be inclined to kind of button down the hatches. We've done our bit, we keep our heads down, when we should be living out and speaking out the wonderful gospel of Jesus in our daily lives and ever seeking that more people will come to know this wonderful news about Jesus and will follow him for themselves. Can't cover every individual, the particular cost we may be called to will be different for all of us. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says some pretty extreme things about our attitude if we want to be a disciple of his. And concludes by saying, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus is to have the first place in our lives, complete control of our time, money friendships. On another occasion, i finish with this thought, on another occasion Jesus was teaching the people and his teaching was characteristically uncompromising and we read in John chapter 6, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It had all got a bit too much, a bit too serious, a bit too hot for them. Seeing this, Jesus turned to his disciples and asked the twelve disciples, that is, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Peter responded with those beautiful, timeless words Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's right. Following Jesus isn't an easy life. It, there is a cost. But believe me, there's no other life worth living. God bless us all.
3: As we bring our prayers to God now, I'll say at the end of each section, Lord, in your mercy, and if you could reply, hear our prayers, that, hear our prayer, that would be great. And it would just remind us that we're uniting in bringing our prayers to our Heavenly Father. Pray. Our Heavenly Father, we've just been hearing and singing about what it means to be called to follow you. We thank you for the great privilege of being your followers. We thank you for your love and grace in reaching out to us, and for the joy and peace you give us, and also for your faithful help, encouragement, and presence with us each day. Help us each to know what following you in our situation really means. And help us to be better disciples. Help us to be faithful, even when there is a personal cost to following you. We thank you so much that in our country we are able to follow you without fear. And we pray that this freedom will continue for many years and you will help us to make the most of that. But we think too of people like Chu in North Vietnam who we heard about earlier, and for the many thousands of Christians around the world who, like her, suffer because they are your followers. We thank you for their example and ask that you will give them the strength they need to remain faithful to you, that you will supply their needs and that you will walk with them through their difficult times. Please keep them safe and send others alongside them to encourage them. And we pray for political change in countries where Christians are discriminated against or imprisoned or tortured for their faith. Please bring an easing of the pressures they face. Also, please bless and prosper the work of all the agencies like Open Doors and Barnabas Fund who are working to help those who are suffering for their faith. Lord, in your mercy, we We now bring before you our Prime Minister, his Cabinet and Advisors and our political leaders, Please give them wisdom in all their decisions and their planning, so that they will make laws and systems that are just and fair, and that care for the disadvantaged and the weak. We especially pray at this time that wise decisions will be made, so that all the detrimental effects of the pandemic to health and well-being, the jobs and economy will be minimised. We also ask that there really will be a levelling up for those who have been hit hardest by the pandemic and pray that the government will have the right priorities as it seeks to build back a better society where everyone can flourish. And as our leaders try to do the best for our country, we also pray that they will recognise the need to keep helping the poorer countries of the world who really need extra vaccines and resources as they battle the pandemic too. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Our Father, we also pray for ourselves, our friends and our families as we come out of COVID restrictions. Some of us may be really thankful at the prospect, but others may feel nervous, vulnerable or anxious. So Lord, we ask that all of us in this country will act wisely and be sensitive and considerate of others as we navigate this new phase. Please take away unhelpful fears, And give us all tolerance, respect and your love for those who might see things differently. We pray too for our church leaders as they consider how to open things up here and ask that you will give them your wisdom and insight. Lord, in your mercy, here We thank you, Lord, for all the faithful and hard work of our leadership team and PCC over the last couple of years of vacancy and pray you will renew and refresh them at this time. And once again, we thank you for providing us with a new vicar, and we eagerly await their arrival. We pray for Bess and Ben and Jess, that you will keep them well, give them the rest and relaxation they need before they move, and watch over them as they think and prepare. We ask that you will lead Ben in his planning and help him to hear your voice and your priorities so that Christchurch will be led into the ways and activities that are on your heart. And for all of us as church members, will you please prepare us to accept possible changes and new ways of working? Help Ben and all of us to follow your divine direction rather than our own ideas and preferences. With the help of your spirit, please keep us all united in your love and do not allow any bitterness or division to develop. And we ask that you will help us to effectively share the good news of your love and grace in Selly Park and that we will attract people to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And now in a few moments of quiet, we bring to those who are on our minds who are sick or struggling physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, we name them quietly before you now and ask that you, the great physician who knows exactly what they need, will bring your wholeness, healing, and comfort to them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Now, let's draw all our prayers together as we say together the prayer that our Saviour Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you humbled
0: yourself in taking the form of a servant, and obedience died on the cross for our salvation give us the courage to follow you and to proclaim you as Lord and King to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Your mightful and merciful Lord, Father,
3: Son and Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. Amen.